Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining in to Power Your Life, and I'm Joanne White. And many of us go through different stages of stress and challenges and all different kinds of things, issues with our self-esteem. And today we have two very different guests who have utilized, and I'm going to tell you what they've utilized, but different ways of helping them through their very specific life challenges, and also, in turn, helping others. My first guest is Anlor Davin, and she has a memoir about herself, a French woman with autism who was struggling not only to be seen, but to, understood, to be understood and respected. Her childhood was beset by overwhelming sensory chaos and troubling with navigating the social world. She didn't have a name for her condition at the time, and when she moved to America, when she survived a new culture without family support, she still was struggling. After teaching in Chicago, she found Zen meditation, which has really helped her to move forward with her own personal challenges. And today, Anlar Davin works to help people understand her way of being as well as the value of meditation in both living and thriving with autism. Welcome, Anlor. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So let's go a little bit back to your background, because you went for so many years not being diagnosed, kind of, like I said, having these sensory challenges that were so overwhelming and and yet you kind of didn't know what they were about or where to turn. So can you describe that a little bit before we get to how you got the help that you needed? Uh, My childhood in France and how I was, you mean, uh, clear, I mean, always having sensory problems during my childhood? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. So I was born in France and uh, raised there for the first 23 years. And at that time, um, they, you know, they didn't, they did not really diagnose so well autism. So I was never diagnosed despite all my sense, well, not just sensory, you know, but uh, many call it oddities or different ways <laughs> and for example you know um as when i was very young it kind of passed because um i you know i i had some really good skills like i for example i i actually learned to read uh, pretty early and i read a ton all the time and so you know when you're young people think okay the quirks you know it's okay but then when i got a little bit older in school like i would um I would exhibit like strange behaviors in, for example, when there was in France uh, between um, between the mornings at lunchtime, there is a break that lasts two hours, which for me was just kind of uh, very difficult for autistic people. Often uh, um, having time that's unstructured can be difficult. So like I remember when I was uh, hmm, in middle school, uh, I would um, kick a stone around the yard for two hours, well, an hour and a half, you know, and uh, very sad not to be able to go with the people, the others that were in little groups, but they did not welcome me, and um, so I did that for a while until they kind of told me, well, you got to, you know, leave the the, the school lunch 
yard because, you know, I well, I don't know. They did not tell me exactly. What were, some of, Amor, what, were, Amor, what were some of the sensory challenges that you experienced? Well, when I grew, uh, you know, especially it's when hormone time, like when I was a teenager, uh, the noise, well, even before, but uh, when I was a teenager, it really was like the, you know, the, the maximum. Uh, and so the noise, I would faint when I heard um, some, uh, like a truck with hissing brakes and things like that. Liter- and, um, literally faint? Yeah, literally faint, yes. Wow. Yeah, and everybody okay. thought I was crazy when I said it was the noise. And, you know, it would not last very long you know, the, the 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 seizures. But when I was a teenager, I actually had a bunch of them, you know. And all uh, the sensory thing would be, well, I had problem with clothes and always, you know, labels. And, you know, the, it's kind of the usual um, sensory things. And, you know, and uh, also I was a very picky eater. Oh, gosh, I, my mom, it was so difficult for my poor mom, you know. So when you moved to the United States, you still at that time, you still didn't have the help that you needed. What, cha- what firstly, what helped you be able to recognize or that somebody recognized the diagnosis of autism and, and how did that evolve? Well, it took a long, long time. I moved, uh, you know, I moved when I was 23, and I was not diagnosed until I was 46. So that's 23 years there while I was not diagnosed. So, um, and I had a child, and I tried to, uh, you know, make up. But then when I got older and older, when I had my child, my sensory problem came back with a vengeance. Can I say that? A vengeance? (laughs) And um, I had to, uh, I never had the money and the health insurance to do a good job at uh, looking further into what was the problem with me. Uh, Everybody assumed it was, you know, uh, quirks here and there, and they gave me antidepressants and, you know, but that never worked. And and then when I finally moved to California about... um, you know, time goes by so fast, I know, 17 years ago. Um, I first lived in a Zen monastery for six months, and that really helped me see that I couldn't, you know, I could not just imagine all my problems. They were getting worse and worse. I mean, I, I had to stay away from people with any type of fragrance. It was like um, uh, their perfume it was like a bar hit me in my head there and stayed there and it got worse everything it became a nightmare I could hardly even go out and of course I was not diagnosed yet so finally somebody in my uh, zen uh, group uh, started to kind of help me out and um, eventually because I was on welfare, because I was a single mother, welfare also smelled the rat after a while. At first, they did not be, believe me, but then I fainted in their office, so they knew something was wrong. And then, finally, I, I received, because I, I was on social, I started to receive Social Security, and two years later, automatically, you have um, health insurance with uh, Medicare, and Medicare is much better than what I had. And so my Zen friend at that point actually took me to see a neurologist, a good neurologist, somebody who is renowned around here in California. And he diagnosed me, and I got proper medical treatment, and on and on. Joan. <laughs> what When you say, Anlo, you got proper medical treatment, what was the medical treatment? Because then I want to really move into Zen. But what was the medical treatment right. that the neurologist right, right, right. prescribed? Well, uh, many, many things helped, uh, but one of them is, of course, I got, uh, I, I was prescribed an antipsychotic, of which I take a very small dose, but it really anchored me and helped me sleep because I, I had huge problems with sleep. Um, and then also later, I, you know, I had a physical pain in my neck and back, and that was paralyzing at some point. 
So proper medical treatment is they started to take care of that because finally I had financial help because they knew that I was autistic. So I was able to see some, uh, you know, to have a, a chiropractor and another therapist to look at this and help me with what I should do with that. And so, Laura, how did you find out? How did you find out about Zen? Yeah, well, how did I find out about Zen? Well, the first mention I got was when I was still in Chicago, and uh, some. Well, it was my yoga teacher. I, you know, I started to do yoga because that was the, the the activity that I could do without feeling stressed. My yoga teacher told me about Zen, and I decided to check it out. Uh, I had also read a friend also had given me for my birthday a book by Charlotte Jokobek called Nothing Special. And so I decided to check it out, and I went to live in a uh, Zen temple for six months in California. So for many of our, our listening audience, they don't know about Zen. Can you give a brief description of what it is and what and, and a little bit about your experience, Alan? Uh, sure. So that's Zen is a uh, huge topic. Uh, how to describe it? Well, for me, uh, one of its most important component is what's called zazen, which means basically sitting meditation. So sitting quietly, usually in front of a wall, uh, legs crossed, you know, and uh, just completely still. And in that stillness is when there is some beautiful thing that happens. It's kind of like a garden that needs to be watered, and you give it a chance to water it. And so the seeds of, well, I've never seen this, you know, the only seeds that I ever see grow, because that's the only seeds that seems to make sense, really are the seeds of kindness. But, you know, it did not happen overnight. It takes discipline, and it takes faith, to keep at it, to keep doing it, and to keep staying away from all the distractions that we encounter in our daily life, you know. So, How did it help you with some of the sensory challenges that, that you were experiencing with autism? Well, it was not direct. Zen is not a direct help. It's very indirect, meaning that um, it's very subtle. You I and nobody else can can't really pinpoint it, but it seems with time as I look over the sensory thing that I started to hmm. so when I sit it's quiet I don't have any uh sensory problems i'm usually I do most of it I'd say about ninety percent even though I'm getting better and better, but I do most of it at home alone. Not everything, though. I do have songas and people. and But uh, uh, the sensory um, input is relatively um, little. Um, and I wear my earplugs, and I actually uh, put a stick in my back because of my problem in my upper back. And, and so basically what it, it's doing it, is helping you, like, like helping you kind of get the sounds that you, the sensory sounds and experiences, like, n- not be there while while you've got the plug, you know, the earphones on or whatever. Right. right? Is that what? Right, right. So it yeah, blocks all exactly. that out. Yeah, I don't, I, I just put earplugs, not, you know, not the whole headset, although I did when I was really ill, but now, you know, it's less and less, you know, because I live in a small apartment, so there's noise, noises, and I don't necessarily want to hear them, you know, so... <laughs> I guess if I had more money, I would have a bigger house and I would not have that much noise, you know. And, uh, you know, you've been, been working in California and, and obviously doing some teaching. What are some of the things that you've learned about um, working with people with autism and what needs to be done? Oh, gosh, this is another big topic, autism, Zen, right? Uh, well, I, it seems to me to, that giving trust that the autistic person is going to grow at their pace, it might be different, but giving them opportunities to grow is so important, it seems to me. 
you know, and I'm glad because it seems that it's happening more often. So that's that would be a big one for me. Uh, for for the uh, you know, I, I I have more and more autistic adult friends these days, and it's lovely. I mean, it's. It's lovely to be with kind of your tribe in some ways. And I even have a, um, I started a, a meditation group for people on the autism and um, neurodiverse spectrum. And uh, that's lovely, John. We, we, you know, when we meet together, all of us, and it, it just, it's great. You know, it's the best, you know, for me to be able to bring my Zen practice to people on the autism spectrum is just a, it's it's just lovely. <laughs> what did, what are your final what, you know what would you tell people Handler, about Zen and autism because you said you're helping people with autism and people on the spectrum with the practice you know with Zen and whatever how 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 does it benefit other people other than you that you, that you've noticed or experienced? Uh, well, I. I have some friends who also uh, practice uh, zazen and who are autistic, and you can, I can see, and I think people can see too on the outside how much calmer they are, how much uh, in touch with reality, and not necessarily blaming the difficult things that they go through, uh, more like embracing them. Mm-hmm. Now, now you you know you've talked about living in France and 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 growing up in France and then moving to the United States and and again we're talking about their views on autism many years ago but what did what did you experience then in terms of of perceptions about autism around that time Oh yeah well not it was not very positive I'm afraid to say See the uh, challenge here. There were challenges here too many years yes. ago. People recognizing and even accepting yeah. and embracing, like you're talking about, people with autism and special needs. So, so it may actually not have been such a difference, but but still, at the time, you know, we're talking many years ago. At that time, right. you're right. Autism yeah. wasn't. You know, autism was was pretty much unknown. You're totally right. Or not, You're totally right. Yeah. Or they didn't have a label for it. So you have this memoir, and we're running out of time. What do you want people to know about the memoir and about you, and where can they get a hold of Being Seen, Anne-Marc? Okay, well, Being Seen, I'll start with uh, the first thing. Being Seen can be found on Amazon and other uh stores but you know Amazon is the main one it cost 15 well 14.99 and um uh the other questions you had um how can they get forget. a hold of you how can they get a hold of you how could they communicate with you yeah you're right <laughs> i have a website and that website is um com. Uh, and, and on this website, a- you can leave comments. A N L O R D A V I N dot com. My name. Wonderful. And there's information about the book on the website, and about you, and also about Zen, and also about your amazing, amazing journey. So I encourage our listeners to go there, com, and find out more about your journey and about the challenges and what you had to do to be seen and heard and to be able to tell your story and share it and help other well, people. Yes, thank you, Joanne. That's very well said. Thank you so much, Anne-Laure, and have a blessed day. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Joanna. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks. My pleasure. Bye-bye. So we've been talking a little bit about Zen and the transformative abilities of Zen. And now I have another special guest who is Alka Dillon. And she wrote this book called The Ohm Factor, 
which provides seven traits to cultivate, encourage positive attributes such as how to be present, open-mindedness, thinking creatively, and she has a lot of techniques in their yoga poses, everything that's really designed to achieve results. Alka Dillon is the founder and the CEO of Technolink, Inc., a conscious leadership expert, and she's an international speaker as well. She has a wonderful book, like I said, that actually has very essential tools that you can utilize to handle stressful situations, not only at home, but in the workplace. And she also teaches how to cultivate key traits to help eliminate or limit some of the scenarios that that arise so often. She also, her book has received the bronze medal, bravo, from Axiom Business Book Awards as one of the best business books of 2016 in North America. She uh, is also somebody who motivates people and does so much, the recipient of the Global Technology and Innovation Leaders Award of the decade. And wow, thank you so much. And welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Olka, how are you? So happy to be here. Thank you, Joanne. So happy to be here with everybody. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. And I'm holding your book in my hand because I was looking at it. And and what one of the first things that stand out is the activities and the and and the descriptions that really help. I mean, I, you know, I'm a business person, but I I also thought that people who were not just business people could benefit from this book as well because it has specific activities and 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 ways to be and and things to say and mantras it's it's really very beautiful so tell us a little bit about the beginnings of that book how it started out sure and thank you for that warm introduction wow that was really nice and um so how the ohm factor came about uh, the Ohm Factor came about, to be honest with you, um, it came about from tragedy, to be honest. Um, I, uh, My father actually passed away um, very suddenly from a heart attack um, about 20 years ago. I was pretty young, and I, you know, just went in kind of a downward spiral. He was my best friend and one of my greatest teachers and mentors, and it left me in a state where I was kind of in and out of the emergency room for about a month and nobody could kind of figure out what was going on with me. Um, You know, one minute my heart's racing, one minute my arm's not working, one minute I can't walk properly and just, you know, how is this happening to this young person? And they diagnose you in the end with this thing called stress, which we've all heard about. And one day I just, yeah, one day I just decided, you know, and and um, and I say this often because I think this is an image that I'm about to talk about that I think a lot of us have been there when you look in the mirror and you don't recognize that person that's in that mirror. You don't, you, you see the eyes, they're glassed over. The person looks like you, I guess, the shell, but um, they're not you. There's no, there's no soul of that person. And so that, at that time I just decided, you know, I need to do something different. And I enrolled in a yoga class <laughs> that that day when I didn't recognize her. And at the end of that yoga class was meditation. And meditation is the foundation of this book. Uh, and we can, you know, go into that as we delve further. And I, you know, after about two weeks, Joanne, I never set foot in an emergency room again for that purpose. And it changed my life completely. And so I realized as I, you know, was going on in the corporate world then, you know, um, and uh, performing at a very high level, working for um, about a half a billion dollar firm at the time and uh, being their number one producer, I was realizing as I was doing these things that I was going through these high level negotiations and going through all of these um, uh, interactions with clients and with coworkers, and I was having challenges. You know, either I'd have a crazy coworker or I'd have someone trying to undermine me or undercut me or the deal wouldn't go through. All these things were happening, and I was realizing that there was nothing available to me to deal with those scenarios in the moment. What do I do then? 
everybody was telling me, okay, go home and meditate, okay, go journal, go see your therapist. All that's great, you know, but what do you do then? What do you do then in that moment? And I realized that I was doing certain things that I had been taught growing up and I had learned about coming from an Indian background. Both my parents are from Punjab, from India. And um, I realized I was applying those things. And I realized as I was applying those things that I was taught, the outcomes were changing of what it is that I was doing. Those interactions started to morph into more positive things, and I started writing them down, and I wanted to share them with everyone, and that is the birth of the Ohm Factor. So we should describe to people what that means. What's, what is, firstly, I, I know what Ohm is, and because I do, you know, I do meditations with that, and I also do yoga, but, but I don't know if all of our listening audience is, is as familiar or well-versed. So can you give us a little bit of a description Sure. So OM in itself, for those of our listeners that don't uh, know what it is, so the the sound OM and the word OM is basically the entire universe encapsulated into a single sound, and it represents the union of mind, body, and spirit. So you are taking the sounds, the ah, ooh, m, and it pronounces. It pronounces it as OM. That's how, that's what it is. So the OM factor. What I realized was that I would see these people that operate at a very high level. They're very, very, very successful. People like um, Ariana Huffington, people like Diane von Furstenberg, Deepak Chopra, all these people. And I realized that they were doing all these things and they were in 90 places at one time, it seemed like, and they were philanthropic. They were, you know, as I said, doing well financially and, you know, making a difference in the world. And it seemed like they were doing all those things and just kind of sauntering into the room and nothing fazed them. And they're always smiling and everything is always okay. And I would look at them and just be like, how, how can they do that? You know, how, how is that possible? How can you not be so easily rattled? And in talking with these people, I realized that every single one of them, what what do they do? They all meditate, every single one of them, so that their minds are at a very calm and controlled state while their body is acting at a very high level, right? So that's how they were able to do it. And I coined this, this, this thing that I thought they had, called the ohm factor and i realize that all of us have this within us and it's about raising our own individual ohm factors and it's through the foundation of meditation you know i think meditation is so important and there are so many different types of meditation i do something that's a walking meditation because I love the movement and I have a background in dance and what that does for me, because I've also had an injury. So it's really difficult to sit in that cross-legged position. I I can't do that. And I remember having to do that and being able to do that a long time ago, but not anymore. And, and so I want people to recognize that there are so many different forms of meditation and, it's important to find one that that fits your body, like 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 I said, sitting cross-legged does it hurts my my hips and my back from my injury, but it doesn't take away from getting into that quiet place where you're able to receive messages and the mind is calm and it still has that result. Do you find that that people that you work with need to know about the different forms of meditation or, or what? how does that work with you? Well, how it works with me, and that was such a beautiful um, uh, description of meditation, and I love that you do a walking meditation. I also do those uh, types of meditations as well, depending on what I'm uh, dealing with at the time. But I'd like to take a second and, or not more than a second, I'm going to take about 20 seconds and demystify this meditation because you, you hear that word and you picture someone sitting on top of a mountain somewhere and, you know, um, with a shirt off or something, or if you're a woman, maybe not, but, you know, and just sitting there in the cold and for hours or days and not drinking water. And it, that, that's not what this is. What I, what I recommend to people is, first of all, do not focus on the time that you are meditating focus on the consistency of doing the meditation. So, right, so I tell people to start with two minutes 
and I even write about that in the book, that you start with two minutes and people cannot um, sit and sit cross-legged, whatever. I mean, these are things you should be able to meditate wherever you are. Do not do it while driving, but, you know, in your car when the car is stopped, in your office chair, if you're working from home, in that chair, or if you can sit cross-legged, fantastic. Take your uh, phone, right, whatever phone you have. I happen to have an iPhone. Set it for two minutes and sit if you're in a chair with your feet flat on the floor with your uh, palms on your knees with your palms facing upward so you can receive the energy and the vibration of the universe and you do the following. This is how easy it is. People have made a lot of money making this sound very sexy and I'm (laughs) telling you it's very simple but it's very powerful. So you sit with your palms facing up and you close your eyes and you just simply... Observe your breath without manipulating it and without judging it. So you're not counting the inhalations and the exhalations. You're not saying, oh, my God, I have to inhale for four, hold for four, exhale. None of that. You are being a witness and you are observing that breath. You are then going to have thoughts that come and go. I have to go to the dry cleaners. I have to go pick up my child. I have to go to this meeting. That's fine. You are a human being. You are going to have thoughts. If you think you're going to be thoughtless, you are not (laughs) understanding what a human being is. So what will happen, though, and this is where I think the magic happens, is that there will be a point where there will be a delta between thought A and thought B. You will not notice it in the beginning. It'll be a split second, maybe a millisecond. As you continue doing this two-minute rendition every day, you might start to notice it. And it is within that delta of thought A and thought B that the magic happens of where your intentions get manifested, where what it is that you're trying to accomplish and do and feel of what we call happiness or fulfillment or whatever it is that you're searching happens. So the only way we can access that, and I've found how I access that, is through meditation. And I promise you that if you do two minutes every day consistently, it will be better than doing 30 minutes or an hour once a week. You will notice a much bigger difference. Because why? Because you are taking that daily connection and daily tapping into that source of where you can, you know, tap into that success and happiness. I love it. It's wonderful. You know, Ellen DeGeneres years ago had a funny skit about meditation where sitting and just a little bit what you said, and did I turn the stove off? What's happening with the kids? (laughs) But it was really funny. And what am I doing tomorrow? Oh, my God, I'm sitting here. How how much more time do I have? Oh, this this is ridiculous. I can't stop my mind from talking, you know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I wish I would have seen that. (laughs) I don't remember, but I just remember, I remember laughing about it. It's hysterical. It was a long time ago. The point is what you described it so beautifully because I also have experienced that over time, my brain used to be so filled with chatter and self-deprecating stuff when I was younger that I had to get rid of. And over time, I can actually have all those thoughts, I'm not doing even doing it intentionally. It's just from, from meditating since I've been about 18 that to be able to kind of, they, they're just not there anymore, except sometimes when I'm really, really agitated. And I just wanted to mention one thing before we get deeper into this. You, you were talking earlier about how they diagnosed all those, those horrific symptoms that you were going through and challenges as stress. Stress is such a killer in the United States and you know stress can really disturb every aspect of your life so i think it's important you know what 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 you're teaching people because this is a way to really help reach that state of calm and eliminate some of the stressful cha- well i can't eliminate the challenges but again our response to it so you can see and be in that state of calm You talk about why spirituality, and I love this, why spirituality is so important in the workplace. And and I know that that is 
so essential. But would you describe why and what are you seeing because you work with so many entrepreneurs and businesses? Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, so <laughs> it is so important because in the in corporate America, I mean, and this can even be a global conversation, but in corporate America, which is where I've been for a long time, um it is just everybody is not only operating at such a high level of just they're just doing. No one is present for what is happening. They are just doing. Almost in a very robotic fashion, this is the majority of people, not our listeners here, but people, most, the majority <laughs> of people, they're operating at a, just, at a pace where they're just kind of executing and not participating in the process and not being present for what's happening. And what I noticed was, and what I notice daily, and, and and we can talk about something else that I'll bring up now as well, because we're dealing here in America, we're dealing with a very, um, very heavily stressed political climate. Regardless of what your political affiliations are, it's affecting all of us because everybody has their own opinions of it and how, oh my gosh, how is this going to affect me? Um, what's happening is we're becoming we're losing the connection to the aspect of the relationship of the exchange and it's going into a transactional exchange. And that to me is where I think meditation and mindfulness and these types of tips and things that I give you um, in, in the book really help. Because if we stay in the place of just being transactional, there's nothing there's nothing going to be accomplished and nothing is going to be fulfilling about that there's nothing happy about that it's wham bam that's it there's no relationship there's no growth and there's no way to tap into that sense of fulfillment so if you find that you know i'm really unhappy i'm really stressed all these things i invite you to seriously take a minute and just be with yourself for those two minutes and reconnect and re-meet yourself. And that is why it's so important in the workplace because when you do that, it becomes a chain effect. So when I'm doing it, all my clients that I come into contact with that are super stressed and just really don't know what's going on and everything's happening to them and they're not understanding that it's happening for them and for their best interests. They think it's an attack and all these things. When I meet them, they meet me from my space of stillness for those two minutes that I did or that 10 minutes that I did or whatever I did that day, right? They're meeting that stillness and then they get that exchange, and then they pass that on. That is why, Joanne, is so important in the, in the corporate workplace or in anything that you do, in any interaction that you have, even in relationships, that you change starts with you. And when you bring that change, it will benefit. You know, it's so true. And even with joy that, that they've done research that, that you've, if you're in that experience of joy, there's a contagiousness about it that, that other people, because they're in your presence or that, that they pick up on it. But I think it's important that we note something because you have a company and we're talking about spirituality in the workplace. How does a, an entrepreneur or a business leader, how do they actually get that going in the workplace? And what, what, what does it look like? Oh, it's super fun working here at Technolink because we do it. And <laughs> it is, is really fun. Um, but, you know, how you get it going is when you tell someone, you know, and you ask them, are you happy? Nine out of ten, nine out of ten people that you ask will pause before they answer that question. And then they'll think about it for maybe another 10 to 15 seconds. And then they'll say, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Or no, you'll maybe get a no, but it's, it's, it's never, yes, I'm happy, right? So when you tell someone, would you like to be happy? Would you like to feel more fulfilled? Would you like to be more successful? Whatever your personal definition of success is, <clears throat> they sign up right away. They're, yeah, sign me up for that, right? So people, and when you tell them it's only two minutes, it becomes tangible. It becomes something I can do. You brush your teeth. You're supposed to brush your teeth for two minutes. You can do that. So that's how it's so easy to sign people up when you talk to them. And I'll tell you, one sure way to get corporations to do it is tell them how it's going to affect their bottom line. 
you tell them they're going to be more productive and their employees will be more productive and make them more money, they'll all sign up. So that's the, that's what I've been seeing. Now we we you know we're focusing a little bit on stress because not just in the United States but all over and men and women do respond to stress differently. So tell us a little bit about that what you you know what you've observed and not only the observation but what you know as fact about the differences. There's a big there's a and I'm so glad you brought this up. There's such a difference between how we as women and how men respond to stress and and how not only how they respond to stress but how they respond to problem solving. So I want to kind of tie both those things in and and making decisions or you know because I think that's going to be really important. It all starts from when we're all young, right? When we're playing in the sandbox. We as women, we are told from a very young age, and those of us who have had very supportive parents, um, fantastic. If you haven't had supportive parents, you can still benefit from what I'm about to say, and you can relate to it, that, you know, you want to be an astronaut? Fantastic. You want to be a banker? Fantastic. You want to, you know, be the president of the United States? Fantastic. But you must be a great mother, a great wife, a great sister, a great daughter. Do all those things and look fantastic doing it. That's what we're taught as young girls. So all great that you want to do that, but you have to do all this too. Men, on the other hand, as little boys, it's a given. You know, you're just like, oh, and when they talk about what they want to be, it's fantastic. You, they, they usually don't get those conversations, right, of, you know, you're going to be, you have to be a great brother, you have to be a great husband, you have to be a great father and do all these things and do, and, and you can go do that as well. There's no, there's no discussion around that. The studies on this, when we're talking about the studies that are done, they've even and this and so what does that do to your confidence right they've even taken children okay in school let's say in grade school and they've told them that um they've taken two groups and separated boys from girls and they've told the boys that you know hey listen um the people that took this test before this group of boys everybody scored a 98 on the test and you know um you know, you guys can do it. That's fantastic, fantastic. Next group of boys takes the test. They all score really well. They tell the group of girls, you know what, the group, the prior group of girls that took this test, they didn't do so well. It was really challenging. You know, they scored in the 60s, things like that. What happened to that group of girls when they took that test? They all scored low. Right. When you all that self-talk, when we have that at a young age, when you do that, and it's how you tee things up, so to speak, and it completely, it's insidious, and it permeates and creates an indelible mark in your soul, and it creates that imprint, and you live with that, and you walk with that. Um, I was I was very blessed, um, you know, to have two parents that you know thought I was fantastic and thought I could do anything and made me feel that way. And, you know, um, the downside of that is <clears throat> you become overconfident and you become that, you become that kid, <laughs> you become that person and you think that, um, you know, you can do anything. And then until you, until such a time that you fall and then you fall and you learn from that. But, um, uh, that's what I would say, you know, to people is that, you know, we need to get to the place of, um, why we have that different response. We need to get to that place. And if you do have children, you know, um, the pressure that we put on, and if you're mentoring young girls or and even young boys, but especially the young girls when you're mentoring or if you have children or daughters or things, understand that all that you say to them, it sticks, it stays. And we have such a different response because we're wired so differently from the beginning. You know, I, I I agree with that, and I think it's so important. And I think parents, not, you know, parents really need to pay attention to what you just said because it isn't. It's almost like imprinting, and and it's really can be very harmful. I want to focus there. You know, we have to have you on again because there we don't have enough time. <laughs> and, I would love to be. Thank you. I appreciate to, that. 
I wanted to go through this book a little bit because you have prescriptions for healing, anger, and resentment. You talk about the different kinds of stress. You have prescriptions for healing wounds, for, you know, ways of chanting, for for so much, and some poetry. It's There is so much in this. You talk about awareness and mindfulness, and and I wanted to go through one, if you could teach our listeners, one Rx to actually heal because again you mentioned about at least in the united states that the people are going through such tremendous shifts because of what's going on politically and we're not going to focus on that but we're going to focus on the response that people are having to it so you have an rx to actually hear heal feelings of anger and resentment that also is for ourselves can you take us through that a little bit and, you know, the, the uh, chant that we can do or, or whatever for that? Sure. So anger and resentment, you know, I, I do want to say one thing about that. Um, and I did take the seven emotions, and I like that you picked this one because this is very apropos right now with what we're right. going through, so I really like that. I, I, I would like to say that, what happens as we as human beings, and I know this book was geared originally towards women, but men are loving it. This this can be for everyone, that when you feel anger and resentment, you are actually feeling those emotions in that moment about somebody that's made you angry. But you're also taking that when it stays and it turns into resentment, you're taking those situations and you're giving them life after it's already happened, right? So what is a memory? A memory is a piece of the original experience. And I say this in the book is that we actually re-experience the original experience the same way when the memory of it is triggered, right? So what we want to do is get to the point where we are not replaying that reality again and again and again in our minds. So what I'd like to take you through I get, in, in the Rx for that is that um, I give basically an English affirmation that you can use in that moment. You can say it out loud. You can whisper it. If you can say it in your head, it does not matter. Each of these Rx's or these prescriptions that I've given or these affirmations have specific uh, vibrations attached to them that heal and calm the nervous system in that moment. So you'll keep repeating it whatever way you want to, and you will notice a difference in your nervous system for each particular emotion. So they were very carefully chosen. If you don't feel comfortable with the, I get also give the Sanskrit um, uh, uh, mantra that you can use. But if you don't feel comfortable with that, the English affirmation works just as well. It was chosen just as carefully. So. What I'd like to take everyone through, so if you're in the moment and you're feeling this and you are just feeling yourself seething, right, the basis and the root of all anger and to get away from all of that, the the root of anger is fear and the antidote to anger is forgiveness, okay? So what you're going to say is, I forgive everyone, including myself. I forgive everyone including myself. Very important. I forgive everyone, including myself. Now, I've found that that those last two words, including myself, is where it hits your soul because we never, ever, ever think to forgive ourselves. And when you don't do that work, that work, that piece of that turning inward and honestly forgive yourself it doesn't make the other part of the equation work. So I forgive everyone, including myself. I love it. And what's the Sanskrit pronounces for us? Om. Om Tare Tutare Ture Svaha. Tutare Tutare Ture Svaha. Yeah. Ture Svaha. Wonderful. We and I give the pronunciation almost... in there, so please don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, it sounds so beautiful in Sanskrit too, and so I wanted people to hear that, and it's sure. and it, it's really wonderful. So tell people because we're we're running out of time here, and I want people to be able to know so much. And you're right; this book is not just for women, even though it is 
a woman's spiritual guide to leadership. I can see it, the, how it's apropos for everybody, the own factor. Tell our listeners where they can get this book, how they can find out more about you and the wonderful things that you're doing in the world. Sure, thank you. Uh, you can get The Ohm Factor anywhere books are sold, Barnes & Noble, anywhere online. Most people go to Amazon. Um, it just hit international bestseller two months ago, so that's uh, that was some really new news. That's really great. Um, you can get it, uh, it – thank you. You can um, reach me on – you can get connect more about The Ohm Factor on my website at www.alkadillon.com. That's www dot a l k a d h i l l o n dot com and i am very active on social media would love to connect i uh, you can reach me on twitter at the spiritual ceo on instagram at the spiritual ceo on facebook at Alka Dillon, A-L-K-A-D-H-I-L-L-O-N. On my website, you can also get merchandise that's Ohm Factor. You can see my blog and um, communicate that way. I would love to connect with everyone and it's wonderful. continue the conversation further. Alka, thank you so much. And again, I, I love this book and I think it, it's so important for where we are, not just at the United States, but it, I think it, it's so important for our time. There are so many challenges that are going on in the world and we need to be rooted in calm and ease and have the tools that you so expertly present in this book to help us through our challenges and reach a place of de-stressing and a place of ease and, and also a place of empowerment. So thanks again and have a blessed day. Is there one thought real quickly that you would like to leave our listeners with? Oh, I have many, but I will, I will (laughs) leave with one, Um, you know, and, and I know this sounds cliche, but honestly, Always believe in yourself. Always believe in yourself. We all we get that um, that voice inside that that kind of manifests into our pit of our stomach where we have that self doubt, and you second guess yourself, and that is what holds us back from so much joy and so much personal success that you want to achieve. So always believe in yourself. You're here. Thanks for so much. I appreciate Thank you. it. Also. Thanks so much, and have a blessed day. I appreciate you. Thank you. You do as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Remember, I think what what Olka said is really important, and that is appreciating you, which is probably why I've called this show Power Your Life, because I think that we all have such wonderful skills and talents and abilities, but we have to recognize that, that they're in us to be able to share them and to bring them out into the world. So remember how special you are and take time to honor yourself two minutes to do a meditation that can transform you is easy and easier than you think. Have a blessed day wherever you are and thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the Upbeat Show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.